Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 154, Ways to Improve Piloting Skill and Have Fun in the Process, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. We are joined this evening by a special guest, and we also have a recording from somebody who was at Groton, Connecticut, uh, at the AOPA Fly-In. So this is going to be a really exciting episode. We have some cool topics. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get started, a real uh, shout-out to our sponsor, AerospaceScholarships.com. AerospaceScholarships.com has over $10 million worth of scholarships that are given out by the organizations within that that scholarships guide, and uh, I actually publish it, and you can find it at AerospaceScholarships.com. It's only $10, and you can win, gosh, up to $65,000, $75,000 in scholarships, so it's a, it's a really good resource. As low as five hundred, up to that high. Also, another announcement, as you know, this will be coming out uh, on the 15th of October, and we will be at the AOPA fly-in in Tampa, Florida at Peter O'Night Airport, and I'm pretty sure this is the last fly-in for the year. It's really exciting. It's really cool because we've actually been able to make it to a lot of the different fly-ins. It's very, very exciting. And then we'll have a, uh, a recording uh, coming up uh, from David Abbey, who uh, actually was at the fly-in there. The uh, Also, another thing I want to announce, uh, Polk State Flight Team, as you know, I coach the flight team there, and we are heading to Auburn, Alabama for the Region 9 competition, and and uh, that's through NIFA, National Intercollegiate Flight Association. And that's uh, basically it's a, a college flight team. Uh, we were hit pretty hard with Irma. We lost a couple of weeks, but we're, we're rebounding. And uh, we're just asking people if they feel like they can donate, uh, that'd be great. There's a link to the Polk State flight team on the right. Any amount will help us. Uh, but we're very excited to have a, a couple other, uh, it's, you know, at my pick of the week, uh, another announcement there. But uh, very excited to go out there. Hopefully I'll see some of you in Auburn, Alabama. We'll be competing again. Against uh, folks like Jacksonville University, Auburn, Embry Riddle, uh, FIT, and uh, I think there's going to be a couple others there. So we'll see who actually shows up. Now entering cruise flight. Anyway, let's get on with the show. And uh, first, we want to start off with uh, I have a recording from AOPA's Flying in Groton, Connecticut, where David Abbey was there. And uh, oh, wait a minute. Is hang on a minute. Wait, forget the recording. I think I think David actually is going to join us. Is David? Are you there, David? I'm here. Live hey, in, you're live. Live. Hey, <laughs> this is. I awesome. did the recording, but then said, how did that uh, happen? Hey. Wow, the magic of radio. This is incredible. <laughs> this is so, well. well let, hey, you know, Rick, could you get rid of that recording? We don't need it anymore. I think we got we got the live person here. Yeah, this is David. Awesome. We'll just pitch it, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, All just, right. Yeah, and I worked so hard on it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But you're here live, so we'll just. Yeah. Uh, Oh, this is terrific. Gosh, David is a a fan of the show, also a volunteer at heart, and he's volunteered at many different 
air shows, but uh, he also has uh, helped out. And well, I'll let him talk about it. I know you went to the Grot in Connecticut. I was right near there, and I so wanted to get to this uh, ALPA fly-in. So, David, tell us a little bit about the the fly-in and how you were involved with it. Oh, sure. Thanks, Carl, and thanks for having me on the the podcast. Yeah. So the um, the ALPA fly-in was the third one of the year. Took place uh, just this past weekend in Groton, Connecticut. And basically, it's a two-day event. And the uh, first day is mostly, um, they have like full-day seminars and workshops that uh, people have to pay to go go to. And uh, it was very good. They have one about um, you know maintenance of your plane. Uh, if you fly with your spouse and your spouse isn't uh, up to speed, they do what's called like a pinch hitter course. And plus, they had like a rusty pilot seminar uh, as well. So... That was the first day. And besides the seminars, they also have um, a lot of planes on static display. This year, there were, I'd say, two real highlights uh, on the ramp. One was a 1951 Grumman Albatross uh, flying boat, basically, which I'd never seen before. Beautiful, beautifully restored, you know, rescued from the desert. And also a, a C-47, which, uh, you know, probably from World War II era. And they would allow people on the plane, show them around, and... Uh, then at these fly-ins, a lot of it's basically for a lot of the GA pilots to to fly their own plane, and the weather was was pretty good. I think they said they had about 400 and something aircraft fly in either for one day or for both days, and they can camp right at the airport, just similar to Oshkosh or Sun and Fun. It's, it's it reminds me of both of those events, just a much at a much smaller scale and for a much shorter amount of time. But you know the exhibitors are there, just like you get on those those larger shows. And uh, and the social atmosphere is there for sure. You could just, uh, you know, at the meals, they people just go up and you know, everyone talks to each other. And, of course, just a big hangar flying for a couple of days. So it was a great event. And uh, not to belabor it too much, but basically I took a week off from work, but I, I made my schedule around this fly-in. I knew towards the end of the week I'd be winding up in uh, Groton, Connecticut, for the fly-in, and I'd heard from from Russ's previous report how great the event was in Norman, Oklahoma. So I said I got to make a point to be there. Uh, so it was very good. And then uh, also from Russ's report, you may remember he interviewed a uh, the coordinator of volunteers for the fly-in. So I said, hey, maybe I can do that and help out a little bit. So on the AOPA website for the fly-ins, they definitely asked for volunteers, and I signed up for a four-hour shift to uh, sell meal tickets, to sell seminar tickets, to be like an information person. And it's a very well-organized event. So, and uh, from being a volunteer, you get a hat, T-shirt, and there's no shortage of food at these events. Trust me. <laughs> so uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was very good. So, I mean, I could answer any more questions about it. But one thing we did miss there was Rick Felty, because I believe he, he lives probably an hour, an hour and a half away. And we missed you, Rick. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say that, though, that um, Groton is a great airport uh, for a bunch of reasons, uh, but location principle, it, it's right on the water. It's a beautiful location for an airport. And I have actually flown there and uh, I loved it. It was it's a it's a fond memory of uh, of a trip I made there. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. And it was you could see the you could see the water right from 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 the uh, from the airport. And yeah. just one more thing to mention. uh there was a there's a company called Survival Systems USA, which is located right pretty much on the grounds or across the street from the airport, and they teach 
you know, what to do if you're in a, you know, a water ditching and how to improve your chances of surviving, you know, because you're probably not going to have any uh, breathing apparatus on or maybe not even a life vest. So they teach you how to basically, you know, if you're going to have a controlled, you know, hopefully a controlled ditching, um, they have a, a full pool, a full scale pool simulator where, where you, you basically go in a mock-up fuselage of an aircraft and then they submerge you in a pool and you have to get out within, you know, as long as you can hold your breath, you know, hopefully surface and get out safely. And they, they train you through it. It's a, it's a whole event. But at this fly-in, they had a tour of their facility, which, again, is right at the airport. So that was very cool to see. So there's videos on YouTube if you ever want to see uh, what the simulator is like. And that's, so, it's kind of scary, though, thinking about that. It's like, gosh, you go underwater, you're all confused. And uh, Were they taking people as, as volunteers, maybe, to go check it out? Uh, not just, just to go view what it's like. They didn't have any uh, people go in. Because you have to pretty much train. You know, it's an all-day event, so there's a lot of classroom training involved. So I don't think they had any uh, people in the, the mock-up, you know, in the fuselage. But they explained how it worked. And actually, in the um, – Rick, you might like this. In the – the room that's the pool it's basically almost like a movie soundstage because they huh. can cre- they can create all different environments they can create a dark environment a rainy environment you know waves at the pool the pool has waves you know wow. wave reaction and loud music the guy was playing loud music i'm not sure if there'd be loud music playing in a ditching but he was playing like welcome to the jungle or something <laughs> and uh so that was that was very yeah. I mean, cool. to, I assume to simulate some kind of disorientation. I mean, that sounds yes. cool. And this, they're located there. I mean, this, if you wanted to go there to train, they have a yes. they have a place there. Wow. Yeah, their HQ is is their their HQ. Their main office is it's right there. Literally across the street from the airport. I mean, it's wow. on the access road. I mean, we basically we walked because you know from the fly-in they were giving tours of the facility, and you just walked. Uh, I mean, it, I don't yeah. think it could have been closer, except. Except there on the airport, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, cool. Yeah. In fact, it was, it was wow. right next to. Uh, there were people who camped at the fly-in. Like you could camp, you know, underneath the wing of your aircraft. But if you just wanted to camp, mm-hmm. just like people camp pretty much right next to that building. So wow, cool. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. Well, that's cool stuff. I so, tell you, I love that little airport, though. The Groton, is, like you said, it was right on the water. At one time, it had the most bird strikes of any airport out there. Uh, <laughs> fascinatingly, it's it is. Oh, that's actually where I got my multi-engine rating too. In Groton, that's mm. uh, there's a lot of a lot of neat stuff out there. Well, David, as far as the flying is concerned, you said I think at once uh, like a mini Oshkosh, that kind of thing. Uh, as far as airplanes and all, did were you able to actually wander around, and get to see everything? It, it's not overly cumbersome is it like you could actually see everything if you wanted to correct you nailed it it is when i say it's minuscule compared to those big events it is i mean you know maybe one fiftieth of the size <laughs> yeah you could walk the ramp in within a half an hour you know there's uh you know, maybe 20 aircraft on display like some for for sales purposes you know kick the tires on a, a cirrus vision jet for example they had the uh, the new cirrus vision jet there they had new cirrus uh, sr22 um some some TBMs, you know, well out of my price range, but uh, but yeah, you could you could. It was easy to to walk the uh, the ramp. Very very accessible, super easy to do. And you could if you wanted to, you could walk right out to where the people are camping uh, underneath their aircraft and go see what all the the people fly in. And uh, so it was great. It was really really nice and a great turnout. And uh, I can't say enough about it. And 
Uh, one thing I didn't mention was on the Saturday, which is really the main day of the event. You know, Fridays is some all-day seminars that you pay for, but Saturday is a you know, completely free event, and they break the day up into um, you know four or five. 45-minute sessions on all different subjects like ATC communication, drone flying, uh, again, a little bit of IFR refresher, uh, lots of courses. Um, again, like 45-minute safety seminars, similar to what you'd see at, uh, you know, if you went to a uh, FAA uh, safety team event at your local airport. Interesting. And that was good. Going back to what you said about volunteering, if somebody wants to volunteer, I, they can do that by actually contacting AOPA online, et cetera, or just showing up, I'm assuming. Um, but what if you don't have much you know, knowledge of aviation, you're new to this, can anybody volunteer? Is there things for anybody to do? Absolutely. Everybody? Absolutely, yeah. So just, just to go over just a few of the things to volunteer for, you know, besides me, uh, information desk, which... It's not that difficult because, again, the, the place is not huge, so it's not that difficult to get the lay of the land. But uh, uh, one thing, for example, I have no skill in marshalling aircraft, so I wasn't going to sign up for that, but people were there to marshal aircraft. But there's a few uh, meal events uh, that go on, like the night, the Friday night, there's what's called a barnstormer party. So volunteers are needed to, to staff that in terms of taking the tickets for the volunteer event, um, for, the, for, the, for the party. Plus, they need volunteers at the exhibit hall. So there's, there's plenty of uh, opportunities for volunteers. And if you go to the AOP website specifically for the fly-in, for example, the one coming up in Tampa, there's a section on the Tampa fly-in for volunteering. And then they break down the, the shifts that are available and what type of work you want to do. And one other thing I didn't mention was, like, you know, if you want to volunteer a few hours helping in the parking lot, you need help uh, parking cars, you know, directing people to park the cars. So that was a that was a vital role in in Groton because it's not that big of an airport, so they needed to they needed all the volunteers to you know efficiently park the cars or get them parked. So I would say volunteer. It's not difficult, and you know they just ask. I think I said like for four hours over the course of a couple of days. I mean people did plenty more than that, but by no means did I feel that I needed to volunteer more than I did. But they, either way was fine. Cool. They, they didn't. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And if you're yeah. listening and you want to volunteer, it's so easy to do and, and sign up for. Just come on by, sign up online. They really do need people. Uh, I won't be volunteering. I will be there reporting for uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. And also, I, Tom Frick may be showing up. I don't know if, Tom, you're going to be there for the show. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll be there both days. Awesome. And so you'll see me in the orange shirts. I, I think Tom may even be wearing his orange shirt every so often. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, we uh, or are you going to be working we, a booth? We stand out. Yes, pretty, we do stand pretty, out. <laughs> yes, we, we stand out. Uh, we're excited. If you want to talk to us about your product, service, et cetera, and you're at the show, or you just want to talk about aviation, come grab us, and uh, we'd love to talk to you. It's going to be a, a, just a blast. So, so David, thanks. Uh, if you don't mind, David, can you hang out uh, and maybe come up with a pick of the week at the end of the show here? I'd love to have you stay around. That'd be great. Yeah. Cool. Nowhere to be, and... Uh, enjoying this so much just being on the podcast so sure awesome awesome um, sticking around awesome uh all right well we actually uh have another part of our show here that we we have a special guest who's uh coming on who actually is uh he's actually been on here before and it's uh it's chris pazala and chris pazala actually is with uh, uh three point aviation and three point aviation is uh 
is actually it's a whole bunch of things. They do seminars. Uh, they do books on you know, like the Advanced Holding Patterns book. They also do some other things like consulting, general aviation consulting, and uh, just all around good guy. Uh, and his name is Chris Pazal again with Three Point Aviation, and he's just come on. Uh, he's on an overnight, I think, somewhere in, uh, in a hotel. And uh, just want to say uh, thanks for coming by and uh, and the great idea for the topic this evening. Uh, welcome, Chris. Uh, thank you, Carl. Thank you for having me. I'm in one of the northern states here, enjoying the uh, fall weather. <laughs> and, and a little bit, little bit chilly compared to here. We're at, uh, I think, we're at 80 degrees right now in uh, Lakeland, Florida. Uh, so it's it's a much different. We've had a bit of a, a heat uh, heat wave here. We got up to 95 the other day. So it's nice to have a little bit of cool weather. Uh, Chris, you told me the other day you'd love to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, ways to improve your potting skill and have fun in the process. Uh, and it's really cool that uh you you came up with this because you're somebody that that lives lives a life of of many different ratings uh and what we're going to go over here is is a few things you know why you want to improve your skills and and how much more there really is to know so uh before we before we get started though uh a quick plug for your uh, website three point aviation also the advanced guide to holding patterns the book it's really good it's all about holding patterns and we also have an online course which we'll link to in in the show notes. It's actually on the right side of the screen. And I wanted to mention this, and I forgot to in the beginning. There's a new uh, system that we have for that online course, and all of our courseware is moving over. So if you did the Practical Guide, the Winter Flying, any of the other courses, uh, we are moving that to a new system that's a much nicer system and easier to use. Uh, We've been getting some very positive feedback uh, from folks that have signed up for the courses, and you can do it on your iPhone, you can do it on your iPad, and we will... And, and anything, any computer device, and we're going to be coming out with more and more courses in the future. So go look for that. We are uh, developing. Right now, we're selling the courses uh, one at a time. We are having a new membership uh, type of uh, courseware uh, bundle that we'll have, and so look for that in the future. Anyway, I digress. And uh, Chris, first of all, uh, you you're somebody that kind of li- walks the walk. You love getting new ratings. I, as a matter of fact, what, what's the what's the latest rating that you've actually gotten? I can't remember now. Uh, I think most recently uh, I have a uh, type rating on an Embraer 175. Ah, oh, that's cool. That's a little bit bigger than, say, a glider. It, uh, as a matter of fact, probably doesn't glide very well, does it? Uh, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, glide great, doesn't glide great. So anyway, as far as uh, you know, questions that we ask ourselves, you know, why would we want to do this? Why would we want to actually improve our skills and? And, uh, you know, because some people, gosh, they're commercial pilots, ATPs, and they're like, hey, you know, I think I know everything about aviation. Uh, and what, what would you say to that person that's asking that question? Well, I'd say if you get to that point, you know quite a bit, but there, there's always more to learn. There's always an opportunity to learn something new. And when you learn about a type of flying that's different from what you're doing, you may learn something that actually applies to what it is you're currently doing. Well, how about, say, a glider rating? So, you know... Let's look at some of the things that you've done uh, specifically and, and also things that the listeners might be interested in. And something actually, honestly, I'm actually looking at right now, I've started reading the books, is gliders. I want to know more about soaring. So what is, what's gliding going to do for me as, say, a 172 pilot, as a general aviation pilot? How is that going to help me in my skills? And, and what am I going to see from this training? 
Right. So with the glider training, uh, and gliders are, are very much powered airplanes, uh, but with some slight characteristic changes to make them more efficient. And um, a lot of people talk about glider training as preparation for an engine failure. But the truth is, it's actually quite a bit more than that. When you take the engine out of the equation, you take that, that power structure, you start to focus on the aircraft itself. How does it fly? How does it interact with the wind? And how do you manage uh, stick and rudder? And also how you manage energy with that process. So it gives you this uh, opportunity to explore these skill sets that are kind of uh, dwarfed or overshadowed by power when you operate a powered airplane. So that energy management, I like how you put that in there, is something you'll use for the rest of your career. So if you're flying like even a a much bigger jet, we discuss that all the time. One of the challenges many people have when they start flying, say in a career or or they start getting their private aircraft, that's a jet, etc., is uh, is that energy management. How to figure out how long it's going to take you to get down and how to get down. That, that That can be actually quite challenging and in gliding, you're always thinking about that. Where am I going? What am I doing? Where's What's my energy state at this point? Which is really, really cruel. Cool, I should say. Not cruel, but cool. Uh, the, uh, the other thing, too, I think a lot of people don't realize is that the gliders are different, aren't they, as far as like stick and rudder skills. It, it, from a 172 to a glider, maybe you could describe you know, what the difference would be uh, for a student that's thinking about getting into that training. Right. So a glider is going to be... Um much more sensitive on many of the controls, particularly the rudder. Uh, rudder is something that we see focused on a lot with tail training, but it's also really important in the glider world. Uh, you've got larger wings, you've got more adverse yaw, and because you don't have that power, you feel every bump, you feel every aspect of the airflow, and you also operate at a much slower speed. So you can't just deflect a control and expect it to respond the way a powered aircraft would. And that's a real opportunity to start to uh, actually feel out the aircraft, much like somebody with a sailboat uh, may under- have a little bit better understanding of the wind than somebody who's only worked with motorboats. Interesting. How about somebody who's uh, in a 172? I get to view the world from a, a really cool vantage point. Uh, would, we, would I expect the same thing when I'm in a glider? Absolutely. And gliders have a great view because you have these, and most of the gliders have these very large canopies. So, you're getting this really wonderful view. And one of the things that most people notice when they first take a glider flight is once that tow plane disconnects and leaves, there's no engine sound. It's just a sound of airflow, and you feel like you're actually soaring. And as you fly along, a lot of times we'll encounter birds, and they'll soar right along with the glider. So uh, it's a really beautiful opportunity. And out west, they fly them through the mountains in some very, very pretty parts of the country. And also Hawaii is really known for uh, flying in their mountainous areas. Interestingly, you can actually go cross-country in a glider. Some of these flights can be quite long and can stay up for quite some time. We as powered pilots think that, uh, you know, because we have the engine, we can stay up longer than gliders. But, but boy, if you are able to get lift, you man, you can stay up there, do some ridge soaring for many, many hours. Uh, so it's really something that I think that people don't realize uh, can be a long flight or can be kind of a short flight, too. That's for sure. Um, if You know... One of the things, if I'm looking at it, so now I'm a private pilot, or actually I have my commercial right now, single engine, and I want to actually get my glider rating. Uh, and a lot of people listening have their private uh, single engine. What needs to be done to go out and get that rating? Uh, so for the private pilots, uh, there's no need to get a student pilot certificate. You uh, find a CFI specializing gliders. We refer to the CFIG. 
and the CFI can endorse your logbook to provide you with a solo. So you'll go up with the instructor for five to 10 flights till you feel comfortable, and then the instructor will sign off solo flights, uh, somewhat similar to being a student pilot. And once you have a sufficient number of solo flights for the rating you're working on, I believe it's uh, 10 for the private pilot, then you do a few prep flights and you take a check ride. So if someone has their commercial license, they can add on, say, a commercial glider? That's correct. Uh, with a commercial glider, they look for 20 solo flights, and that's how I did it. I went from a commercial multi over to the glider uh, rating at the commercial level. And then the and then you can get your glider instructor. You're a glider instructor, correct, Chris? That's, that's correct. Um, a lot of people ask, what would you do with a commercial glider rating as opposed to a private? Um, it's a prelude to getting the glider instructor rating. And so um, I was very fortunate. I was in college. I was 18 years old, and the university had a glider program. And I was able to go out in the course of a couple weekends, uh, go ahead and get that commercial glider. Um, I didn't have a lot of other glider time, so it took a few months to get a little more experience, and then I went to the glider instructor rating. Interesting. And how long did that, that whole process take to go from, say, your private to your, your glider uh, I guess glider commercial, and then also get your CFI. Um, so I skipped over the glider private. Uh, you can go right across from commercial into commercial. And so it took about 35 or 40 flights. Um, we do everything in flights. We don't really look at hours in a glider. Uh, most uh, flying operations with gliders will charge you by the flight. Um, so it runs about $1,500 to get enough flights in, uh, maybe a little more depending where you fly. Well, cool. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're interested in doing some gliding, and I think it's a great opportunity to understand more about aviation, you can actually check out this one website. It's an organization, the Soaring Society of America, SSA.org, and they have some really good information out there. It's fine, you know, finding a flight school. You can sign up online for an intro flight, and it's a blast. I tell you, that that actually is the, the next thing that I really, really want to look at uh, finishing up is the glider rating because it is it's a wonderful place to be up there no engine you know you don't have to worry about the the oil because there is none you don't have to worry about the rpms there are there's not an rpm gauge it's just it's just wonderful it's a sense of freedom that i think uh, you get in gliding that you don't get anywhere else so really cool stuff um gliders are really neat another way to actually get some better experience as far as stick and rudder and I think people think this is the, the, the pinnacle in the stick and rudder experiences with the tailwheel. Uh, so the tailwheel is now, is that a, a rating or, or what is that? Explain, explain what, uh, what the difference is that I need as far as training and also what kind of a, do I need another license, et cetera, to be able to fly a tailwheel? Right. So um, tailwheel is an interesting one because it was very early on aviation, many aircraft were tailwheel. And I think if you had told Charles Lindbergh you need an endorsement to fly tailwheel, he would have looked at you like you're crazy. <laughs> um, but <laughs> times have changed, and, of course, tricycle aircraft are more common. Uh, so a tailwheel uh, rating, we call it a rating, but it's really an endorsement. It's an it's endorsement from a flight instructor who themselves is endorsed to fly tailwheel. And it requires no written test and no FAA certification. It's actually just um, a sufficient number of flights with an instructor that that instructor feels comfortable and endorsing. It's a, the same type of endorsement you would get for complex, high altitude, or uh, high performance. 
So this is not, so you don't have to take any kind of test. It's just an endorsement. Uh, so why would someone want to actually do this? I mean, as far as getting their, their, you know, tailwheel, how is it going to help you say now or later on in your flying life or your flying career? Uh, well, this is very similar to the glider in that it comes back to stick and rudder skill. Uh, with the tricycle airplanes, the airplane makes up for a lot of our mistakes on landing, uh, which is, makes my job day to day much easier, <laughs> but it, uh, it also takes away from our opportunity to learn something. And so uh, it's a really a chance to improve uh, our stick and rudder, to have a better understanding of the aircraft and, and how they take off and land. Uh, again, rudder becomes very critical in all this. Uh, a number of years ago, I had an interesting experience. I was flying turboprops down the islands, and I was flying with a captain who I'd never flown with before. I was sitting in the first officer seat. And we flew out to an island, and we came back. And when we came back to our home base, I made the turn to line up with the runway, and the captain looks over me and goes, you fly tailwheel, don't you? Now, he didn't know me. We just met that day, and I said, how do you know that? And he said to me, because I looked at the way you're using the rudder. He noticed. Even though the plane I was flying wasn't a tailwheel and it wasn't a glider, he knew that I'd flown those other aircraft just by the way that I was now handling this aircraft. So it, it really does transfer back to these other aircraft. Because if you look at something like a Cessna 172, it has such a long tail, it's very hard to really feel the rudder on that the way you would on a tail dragger. But once you have that tail experience, you can bring that back. And actually, I was going to ask if Tom wanted to weigh in on some of this. Tom and I have flown tailwheel a couple times. Yeah, and Chris is correct. I mean, the, the whole idea of uh, using the rudder, it, it, it's, it's paramount. I can, I can see it with students that I've flown with and, and have um, helped them with their tailwheel endorsements and, and how much improved their flying skills are after that. Um, and, I've, and I've gotten to fly with Chris in, in gliders before, too, so I've uh, taken advantage of his, uh, his um, experience as a, as a glider instructor as well. So that that tail and, and I see it too uh, when I'm flying, say any aircraft, whether it's the 172, if I'm in the 182 and the Mooney, or if I'm out flying in the jet, it really does make a big difference. Especially, you know, I notice a difference in crosswind landings quite a bit. I mean, people forget that there's a rudder out there, and it's uh, it, it, yeah, you, you land that wheel on uh, at first uh, the upwind wheel, and then you put the other one down. It's 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 re that simple, and it the skills come just from basic flying. Even in a 172, you learn those skills, but it it becomes much more pronounced in a tailwheel because of that that center of gravity. I have a question though, Chris. You mentioned there's just an endorsement involved. So if I'm flying a tailwheel, is there anything else that I need to take into consideration in training in my future? I mean, do I have to do any type of proficiency training or anything? You know, can I take, you know, do I have to worry about landings just like I do in the other aircrafts when I, when I want to take somebody up flying? Uh, that's an excellent question. So, uh, yes, just like you need to have landings in category, class, and type, or landings day and night as appropriate, you also have to have uh, three landings within the last 90 days, uh, or I believe they've changed it to three months now, for the uh, tailwheel. And those need to be to a full stop. So if you haven't flown tailwheel in a little while, you'll need to go up with an instructor or by yourself, but I, of course I recommend with an instructor uh, to stay current. The nice thing, though, is that the endorsement itself does not expire. That's good for life. So once you have that endorsement, if you need to come back and refresh, you can go up for a flight or two with an instructor, and once you're comfortable, you're off. 
So, Tom, you said that you've been teaching people on Tailwell, getting their endorsements. I know you're pretty busy with that. What, uh, as far as the people that get their endorsement, do they go out and fly in a Tailwell, or is this normally something they just always wanted to do, and they're probably not going to fly in a Tailwell in the future? Um, the school that I was at had a Tailwell uh, plane for a while, and... Um Yes, people would come in, they would get their endorsement in that plane, and then they would go fly that plane. Uh, the, the plane that we had on our um, flight line was a, uh, a Cessna 140. Um, it's a pretty small airplane, two-seater. Um, I know a lot of people haven't met me. I'm, I'm a fairly large individual. I'm 6'3", and I go about 225, and you know I'm built more like a wide receiver. And it's, it's, for me to get in that plane, it, um, most of the people that I flew with had to be of a little bit of a smaller stature. And even that, you know, it was almost like flying one-handed because one arm around the guy in the pilot's seat and the other hand was on the uh, control wheel to, to be able to fly most times. And, um, you know, but... People would come in, they wanted the endorsement, and then they wanted to go fly that, that plane. Um, the checklist in that airplane, um, we always used to laugh because it, it said on the bottom of it uh, for the cruise checklist that there was a um, wishful speed of 115 knots. And uh, I, don't, I don't think we'd ever get to it, you know. I mean, that, that plane was mainly for flying around. You'd, it had a 95-horsepower engine, and it, it basically just, uh, you know, put along. But it was great. I mean, that was the way to fly low and slow, and it was a lot of fun, um, especially, you know, you put it on a, on a grass strip, and it's just you find a little grass strip somewhere, and in you go. And it was just an awesome little plane to do that. And, and, and people would gravitate towards that. It was a, it was a different style of flying. Um, I've, I... Uh, did a little time with a guy who was uh, flying uh, an Airbus A380 for United Arab Emirates, and he got in this little thing and just loved it because, you know, he, the low and slow is what he wanted to do on his days off. Well, that person that's uh, flying the 380, I guess, uh, if they went out and got their tailwheel endorsement, I'm assuming that they're going to need to to actually practice a little bit. When people get their endorsement, Tom, would you recommend them maybe sticking with an instructor or have making limitations just like in when they got their private? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, and even the endorsement, you know, I, I tell people when they get their private, it's, you know, you now have a certificate to learn. I mean, you're just, you're just starting off and now you can go out and, and experiment on your own and do it as safely as you possibly can and, and, and learn more and more about the craft of flying an airplane. And, and with the tailwheel endorsement, it's the same thing. You know, once you have the endorsement, it's just it's an endorsement to start learning and, and get better at it. Yeah, well said because and and that's in any rating. That's that's for sure. So uh, you know, we talked about gliders and tailwheels. Uh, one of the things I think that's really cool is uh, something that can go on other surfaces other than the land and land on the water. And I really I get to see a lot of that in the Tampa Bay area. As a matter of fact, uh, Tom and I are going to be able to go out and look at the Icon aircraft uh, in the next few weeks uh, because we're going to be at the the fly-in there. But uh, uh, as as far as the seaplane, we're talking seaplanes here. That is a really cool thing. That act, that's like you're boating and you're also flying and you're doing them both at the same time. When I'm watching people, and I've done a lot of boating in the past, and I watch these people get in their airplanes and and just take off, and they they do it just so smoothly. I, I I'm like, wow, how do they do that? Because I know that that takes a lot of skill and a lot of planning. Uh, to fly the seaplane. So I'm, I'm sure Chris is going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, Chris, why would you recommend somebody going out and getting their seaplane rating? 
Um, admittedly, on this one, mostly for the fun of it. Uh, it's one of the most fun things I've done in aviation. Uh, early on in college, I had the chance. Uh, I went to college in Florida, so of course there's seaplanes, and I had the chance to go and fly a, a Mall uh, 235 on floats. And uh, I remember the owner had it in his backyard, and so I went to his house, and we did a ground lesson, and then we hopped in and just took off out of the lake in his backyard. <laughs> That's cool. That is so neat, and uh, that and, and there's also seaplane basins out there in Tavares, Florida. There's also Peter O'Knight actually uh, is officially a seaplane uh, basin, and you can actually pull up uh, your air. They have to open the gate and let your your seaplane come in. It's amphibious into the uh, airport there, so hopefully we'll see some of that happen. Uh, but as far as getting the rating, I I know a lot of people think about it, and obviously where I'm living now, there's a great uh, seaplane base called Jack Brown's not far from here. And a lot of folks have gone through that. But to actually learn to fly, I'm wondering, sometimes people think, gosh, it's so difficult. You know, I don't think I could do that. You know, you're up there on these floats. And, and so what would you say to somebody that's actually thinking along those that lines? You know, gosh, can I really do this? Absolutely. I, matter of fact, I did it in a weekend. Um, I came out on Saturday, get a couple hours with the instructor, and actually had another student we traded off. And then I came back Sunday, did another hour with the instructor, and took the check ride. <laughs> wow. Uh, so it really was that simple. And, uh, you know, the first time you try it, it's, it's a little effort, and it can bounce just like you can on a land uh, landing. Uh, but uh, it is a lot of fun, and it's just a really great experience. Uh, so you learn things you don't know. So, for instance, uh, you'll see in, in the pilot manuals for the um, what they used to call the PTS, practical test standards, they would have glassy water landings. And you'd say, well, what's that? Well, if the water's completely flat, it's very hard to have depth perception now how high you are. So the pilot I flew with was a former bush pilot. And what he would do is he'd come over the trees as low as possible so that he could gauge how high he was. And then after he'd come past the trees, he would level off, set a landing attitude, and just wait. And it could be a minute or it could be 10 seconds you didn't know. But it was a really, really interesting experience. So basically, he's descending into the water on a glassy water where, you know, if you don't have any depth perception, that's got to be really tough. Uh, you know, as you were saying that, I just realized, yeah, there's no there's no runway edge lights or markings, are there? Right. It, exactly. You don't see that. And if, it, if the water's got waves, you can judge height, but it doesn't have any waves. Um, it becomes a reflection. So you really don't know how far it is. And this, believe it or not, actually came in handy. Um, a few years later, I was landing a small jet in an airport in South Florida in the pouring rain, and there was so much glare coming off the runway and the runway lights, I couldn't tell how high we were. And so I did exactly what we did in the seaplane training, and I, I got to where the radio altimeter called 50 feet, and I set a pitch attitude, and I had a descent rate, and I just let it come down, and, and sure enough, I made a safe landing in the runway. Safe and, landing. Uh, we were off to the gate. <laughs> I know you said yeah. safe <laughs> landing. Not, 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 uh, not, not a great no, landing. it was not the, <laughs> not the, well, the plane was reusable, so I think it was a great landing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember if it was smooth or not. Probably not. <laughs> um, but it was a lot better than, you know, because the alternatives there were to either try to guess at the height or to go around. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with the go around, but we were going to have to land at some point. So, uh, and I was already in the, starting to come into the flare when this happened. So being able to just set that pitch attitude and be comfortable with that, uh, that really helped me out. And so that's one of the things I've seen through my training is that you – get a new experience and you think I'm never going to use this. And then years later, you suddenly need it. Interestingly on the seaplanes, 
you, uh, I think we talked about a goose, a grumman goose and all in the beginning. And there's all these different really cool seaplanes out there that have two engines on them. So if you get your seaplane rating, do you also have to get, is it single engine, right? And then you have to get a, a multi-engine rating. Right. So you have the four class of airplane, which is single engine land, multi-engine land, single engine C and multi-engine C. So the multi-engine C is a separate uh, certification. And about a year after I did the single, I was bored, and I said, you know, I'm going to go do the twin. So I found a Grumman Widgeon, which is a really, really cool historical plane. And it's got not only two engines, but it's also a tailwheel. So now I've got a plane that's seaplane, it's amphibious, and it's a tailwheel. I mean, how much more could you ask for? That is cool. And so that that was a lot of fun. And so um, I flew, the owner had it actually at a flying community, and he kept this uh, in his garage, so the door would open, and he'd roll out on a taxiway, and uh, took a little while to get enough fuel in this thing. <laughs> we had to fuel by hand, but once we had it fueled up, we took off and uh, went out to the lakes and had to make sure the landing gear was up. <laughs> Definitely have to have the wheels up for the for the water landing. And uh, we went and took off and, and landed. It was really interesting the first time we landed because it starts with this very smooth landing, but it's but it's a flying boat, so eventually it gets slow enough it sets into the water. And it's like slamming on the brakes. And there's a big splash and water comes up. Uh, so it was a lot of fun doing that. And um, it, this one, particular one did not have a water rudder. It didn't have any kind of rudder below the water line. It just had the two engines. So you had to taxi with a differential thrust. And it was really interesting because the first time I went to make a turn, I had a thrust on one side and I pulled the idle. And I didn't realize you had to catch it. And so it spun all the way around. Three oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, that wasn't quite right. So, <laughs> so what you have to do is you've got to rev an engine, and then um, as it comes through, you've got to stop it with the other engine and kind of rev it the other way. And the Wigeon had one feature I thought was really interesting. Um, it had a magneto system like we're familiar with, and it had individual switches. And in the center, it had a control that could turn on and off all the mags at once. So in other words, it could shut off all the ignition at once and turn it back on. And I said to the instructor, like, well, why do you have this? He says, well, it's for rolling up to a dock. Because even at idle power, the aircraft comes in too fast to pull up to a dock. So what you do is you start to turn the engine on and off, and they call it bumping the mags. And you bump the switch back and forth, and the engine sort of kicks on and off. And at that slower power setting, it can actually creep up to a dock without um, bumping into it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's, I guess that would take a lot of skill to be able to maneuver one of those uh, twin engines up to the dock like that, and and quite a bit of practice, I'm assuming. Yeah, he didn't let me taxi it up to the dock, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm thinking that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but he did let me take off and land. Uh, it was tailwheel, and uh, most of us are used to tailwheels that have some connection to the pedal steering, and this one was actually a free castering. And so the, as you taxi, you would use differential braking. And once you lined up with the runway, you pull a big lever overhead, and it would lock the uh, the wheel to a five degree range, so that you couldn't ground loop or at least minimize the chance of ground looping it. Interesting, gosh. One of the things that I think is just fascinating is how you see these in the movies, and it's uh, usually you know sometimes you see James Cagney or somebody like that getting into a widgeon or a goose or something, and it. it 
brings back the romance too of aviation. I think that's another cool thing about multi-engine seaplanes is, you know, the the real glory days or the golden age you can say of aviation. I think it's really really cool. Um, actually, I, I kind of wish my my uh, my wife's uh, grandfather used to have a uh, a goose, and I kind of wish he never sold that, but. Man, what a what a beautiful plane! What a, a piece of history. As a matter of fact, for those people on Long Island, you know that's uh, actually where much of that was developed. Was right there on Long Island. So something, uh, part of that Long Island history. I know that Dave Abbey appreciate that one. That's uh, it's really a, a hometown airplane there, and you can actually see some of them in some of the the uh, museums down there. On the rating, though, getting back to that, when you get this seaplane rating. Now you got to say you're, you have your airplane single engine C and you have your multi engine C. Now when you know is it like the flight instructor? Is this like is a pilot certificate so it doesn't expire? Correct. Right. So again, flight the glider or the tail wheel. There's no expiration. Um, you do have to keep it current with the three landings uh, in category and class. So um, if you're not doing it all the time, you'd have to go back and do the landings. But uh, the certification doesn't expire, which is. Uh, really nice. And you don't necessarily have to start at the private level. It's like the glider. I actually came across at the commercial level. And um, that way I didn't have to do multiple check rides in it. Uh, the funny thing is I got this rating. I'm like, ah, I'm never going to use it. I'm just going to build a resume. A couple of years later, I'm down the island and um, I got an offer to interview with a company that flew uh, twin-engine seaplanes. Cool. So uh, you never know what's going to come your way. Yeah, that that sounds like a cool job. Uh, you know, when you when you want to hang up flying those jets, you can go over to to do the multi-engine C. I think and fly around the islands. I think that'd be a, a lot of fun. Uh, as far as instructing though in a seaplane, the so now you have your rating. Can you actually go out and teach in the seaplane now? Right. So um, instructor ratings actually don't specify land or sea. They only specify single and multi-engine. So. If you have a, a single engine land rating and a single engine CFI and you go get that seaplane, you're now a uh, CFI on the seaplane as far as the FAA is concerned. But in practicality, uh, I, would you would you recommend doing that? That's going to be a bit harder. Um, most insurance companies want to see about 100 hours in seaplanes before they'll even insure you to have your own. Uh, that's one of the drawbacks of seaplanes is that the insurance is very expensive. Um, but there are companies, um, I believe Kenmore up in uh, – Washington that hire people to do tours. And so that would be a starting point would be rather than instructing in it is to go ahead and get a bit of time. And then if you're a career person, you know, go to Kenmore or one of these other companies and, you know, enjoy just, you know, sightseeing and flying around. And they have the, uh, the beepers up there, which are uh, quite fun. Actually, I got to fly in the back of one uh, a while back. Cool. Uh, that's neat. Those beavers are they're, they're really, really cool aircraft. But um, so, if you're looking for your seaplane rating, there's so many places to go out there. And again, uh, there's the Seaplane Pilots Association that has a list of them. So it, it, there's a theme here. You have the you know the the gliders, uh, Soaring Society of America, and then you have the Seaplane Pilots Association. And uh, there's also many other organizations out there for different type ratings, etc. People that are into different types of aircraft. One of the things that I think is really cool is the fact that uh, not only have you gone out and done the seaplane, the tailwheel glider, but you've actually looked at the possibility of doing a single engine. And this is neat because a lot of folks that have a lot of hours and Cessnas and stuff like that can look at this. And it's a single engine ATP, Airline Transport Pilot Certificate. Uh, so, I, you know, other than saying you've got your ATP, why, why in the world would you want to do that? So um, actually, I did end up doing this a couple of years ago. I did it at the same time I did the multi-engine. And the single-engine ATP is good for a couple of reasons. 
Uh, first of all, it's, it's great bragging rights. Uh, so few people have single-engine ATPs. Uh, but they're also great for lowering your insurance. So for me as an instructor and an airplane owner, it's nice to be able to say I've got an ATP in that aircraft. Uh, I've also got a few friends that are doing their ATP in lieu of an instrument rating. So they're actually going to go ahead and skip the commercial, skip the instrument rating, and work straight up to the ATP. Um, that's it's a little hard to build a flight time uh, doing it that way, but um, it saves uh, quite a few check rides to go through that method. So other than, you know, kind of bragging rights, et cetera, it's really, I guess, not going to lower your insurance that much. I guess having more time in type would, would lower your insurance and more time in general. What uh, what can you do with this ATP that maybe the average individual, you know, might not think about? Is there anything else that it would help you with? All right. So there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of companies now starting up like Air Choice One that are offering scheduled service with single engine aircraft like Caravan. And so these companies need people with a single-engine ATP. So it's actually a marketable skill, uh, especially for a new pilot who's coming into the commercial market. Uh, the other great thing, the reason I did it, is because ATP-level certifications are much easier to transfer into the international world. Uh, a few years ago when I did this, it was during the recession, and I was looking at international opportunities, and you know, I had in my mind I might want to fly caravans somewhere else in the world. So having that single-engine ATP was going to make that a lot better option or a lot easier option to do. Interesting. You know, when I got my ATP, I had to have the 1,500 hours. Is uh, is that the same uh, for the single engine? Uh, it is. It's the, uh, it's the same certification requirements. And the new requirement that they've added to ATP certifications recently is uh, they require 50 hours of uh, PIC in that type of aircraft, And uh, which for me was an issue because I want to go ahead and upgrade my uh, seaplane ratings from commercial to ATP. So, I've got to go buy 50 hours or at least enough to bring me up to 50. <laughs> um, but uh, otherwise, that, it's, it's the same qualifications. That can be a little expensive. Yeah, it have... can be. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the nice things I'll point out, though, uh, the new regulations are requiring uh, more training going into the multi-engine ATP. I think they're requiring a um, some special courses for that. The single engine doesn't require that. The single engine can be done at the local flight school, and it can, be, and the check ride can be taken with a regular uh, DPE. So uh, it's actually not a bad way to start. Is to go ahead and get the single, that opens up some doors, and then go to the multi from there. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that'd be a lot of fun to get that. I, actually, I'm going to have to start looking into getting that single engine ATP. That'd be a, a lot of fun. I guess uh, if someone was looking at their seaplane rating, uh, they could actually get their single ATP or no, and if they already have their multi ATP. Say that more time, say that. So if you have your single, uh, if you have your multi ATP, and say you go out and get your single engine airplane, single engine land or single engine sea, excuse me, can you just go and get the ATP? Uh, you could if you had the time in the aircraft. Gotcha. Uh, which is going to require that PIC, and in order to get that PIC, you would have to get a solo endorsement from the instructor uh, if you weren't already typed on that airplane. Gotcha. Um, I think in a case like that, most people would probably get at least a private just so that they wouldn't be flying on the instructor certificate. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. The, uh, and actually, another thing, we might be running out of time, but I'd like to talk about another really cool thing that as far as enhancing your knowledge and also uh, one of the things I think is the pinnacle in general aviation and, and somebody that 
I always look up to at the airport is the person that's the flight instructor. And I, I'm a big believer that everybody should at least think about trying to become an instructor. If they feel like they can communicate well, or they teach well, you'd be surprised. It's very rewarding. So as far as the flight instructor, and we'll, we'll put that as the last talking point right now is the, uh, as far as you know, improving your piloting skills and also, and also what's important is having fun with it too. Uh, this flight instructor rating kind of encompasses all of that. So, you know, talk a little bit about the, the fact that a flight instructor is somebody that's very important in our, our society in aviation. Uh, but it also, it helps us, it helps us individually as pilots, if you could. Well, exactly. Um, when I first did my flight instructor certification, I was 18 years old and I had this idea that, oh, it's just a way to build flight time and I'll just take this check ride. And no, I didn't realize what I was going to learn as a flight instructor. And it really changes the way, not only you fly, but the way you look at a cockpit. And I go from sitting there trying to do the maneuver and meet the standard to thinking through, you know, where are we? Where are we in the lesson? You know, where's, where are we going from here? And you start to kind of pull back and take a bigger picture look. And that has been really helpful for me, actually. I just um, upgraded the captain of my uh, regular company here. And so I'm finally now using that skill, or I'm, I'm better using that skill, of being able to look at the bigger picture. So if I hadn't been an instructor, this would be a lot harder. Interesting. Yeah, that's, it's amazing how those skills are used, uh, especially when you, you're in a captain's position because you're working with so many people that are that are brand new. One of the things, too, I think it helps is that you – actually become somebody that's you're introspective you start looking at yourself and even that you because you're always looking at other people and and when you do that you say to yourself gosh this is something i could do better and you wind up becoming a better pilot i feel by actually looking at your own skills uh i don't know what you feel about that uh you know chris but i think being being able to really critically think about other people's skills and those ways to be able to formulate them into your own flying skills, I think is, is quite important for a flight instructor. It does. It changes the way that you look at your flying. Uh, before that, you look up to an instructor to say whether or not you're doing well, whether or not you're meeting the standard. When you become an instructor, you see the other side of it and you can start to evaluate yourself. Uh, a few years ago, I took some time off to go to law school and I was only flying part-time. So I actually hired an instructor to go up and practice maneuvers and I don't think he actually said much. I sat there and I ran through the maneuvers and I told him what I was doing and I critiqued the maneuvers. And I think they were much better than how I would have done it as a student pilot because I didn't feel like I was being forced to do it. I feel like I had an opportunity and I could evaluate myself. Yeah, and I have to totally agree with that. Well, gosh, Chris, you know, we're kind of running out of time. I know you had some other ideas and I what I'd like to do is is maybe have you come back and talk a little bit about some of those other things that that uh, will improve your piloting skills and and actually have some some fun in the in the process and also uh, we obviously have a lot of other uh, things especially from your website and your Facebook page where we can learn and integrate into our conversation uh, but uh, if if people actually want to find you somewhere on the internet I know you have that Facebook page it's uh, three point aviation uh, the number three point aviation.com uh, but you have something new going on, I think, on your Facebook page. You have more uh, of a conversation going there. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, certainly. So um, a few months ago, I uh, went to Cleveland, Ohio, to do a wings seminar. And um, they have a great wings program there. And um, I started talking about Class C airspace. And somebody asked a question, and I'm glad they did. 
And they looked at the chart and they said, what's this little letter T here um, with the underline? And I explained that that's where the class C rises to the um, overlying airspace. Well, most of the audience turns out wasn't familiar with this. And so I started asking around, turns out a lot of pilots weren't familiar. So I put out a post on Facebook saying, hey, by the way, you know, this is what this is in hopes of maybe uh, you know, updating the pilot group or making sure everyone's familiar with it. And I got a lot of really good feedback. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe I can post more about uh, some of these nuances of the charts and the air traffic procedures. And a friend of mine who's an air traffic controller, he helped out uh, quite a bit here. And between the two of us, we've been posting an average of about one of these a week for the last couple of months. So um, it's really a great resource as far as uh, things you might not have thought of related to airspace, or I think we just did one on um, proper cruising altitude. And they're very short. You know, there's a couple graphs, maybe a paragraph or two. Um, you know, that way you're not getting bogged down with dense material. Cool. And there, there's some really good stuff out there. I was just looking at the Facebook page now and there's some, some videos you have and, uh, really some cool pictures too of sunsets. So that's also important, uh, when we're talking aviation, especially when there's airplanes involved. Uh, so that you can find at facebook.com slash, uh, three, the number three point aviation, uh, really neat stuff. I think, uh, you're, you're doing some, have some great material and doing some great, uh, work. Also, obviously just to mention the, the holding patterns book and, and the video course that we have, we'll have a link to that too. So, uh, but Chris, thanks so much for, uh, for actually, you know, presenting this idea and, and speaking a little bit about it. As a matter of fact, if people have questions either for Chris or they want to talk to us, you know, you can go to, you know, stuckmikeavcasts at gmail.com or just go to the contact page on the website. And if you have other suggestions out of ways to improve your piloting skills and, and have fun in the process, you know, tell us about it. Uh, we haven't talked about all of them and I know there's so many more. We'd love to hear back from you. Our picks of the week. Chris, if you don't mind, can you, you know, at the end of the show here, we always do a uh, pick of the week and was wondering, you know, what, what, what pick would you have if you had a pick of the week? Uh, I know we kind of threw this in the last minute for you, but uh, what would your pick of the week be for, uh, for our, our notes here? Well, you know, since we're talking about gliders quite a bit, uh, one of my favorites, and I know this will sound silly, but it's actually the FAA Glider Flying Handbook. And the FAA Glider Flying Handbook is one of the best references I've found Matter of fact, I just talked to an instructor at another glider school who said that's all they use. And it's a book put out by the FAA, um, written by some uh, Florida glider pilots, um, some folks we're familiar with, actually. And it covers uh, the basics of how gliders fly and, uh, and how they operate and some of the safety aspects that go with it. And it's very concise. It's not very wordy. It has great graphics. And the best part is that it's free. You can get it online for free, or you can get a print copy for about $20. I think I own two of them. <laughs> But, uh, but the free version is available on the FAA's website under the handbook section. Awesome. And that's something they can uh, continually update because it, the updates are there free online also. I love to have a printed version, of course, and, and you can get those at the local FISDO. And, and just you can buy some of the commercially produced uh, versions of it, which are, which are awesome. So uh, one of the books I've actually uh, just recently picked up, so I, I may be asking you some questions about that. So, so thanks. And we'll have a link to that, by the way, the uh, one on the FAA site that's for free. Uh, moving on to the other pick of the week would be uh, from myself. Actually, my pick of the week is a company called Sunrise Aviation. And Sunrise 
Enterprise Aviation is actually a flight school. Uh, it's a flight school we actually use at Polk State College, but uh, in general, they have some really uh, great programs for pilots that want to get into flying as a hobby, uh, but also want to get into flying as a career. They provide the aircraft for a couple of state schools in Florida, one being Polk State, the other one, uh, you know, Florida State College at Jacksonville also uses them, and uh, they have a very, very large free fleet, and they're based prime, they're based out of Ormond, but they also have uh, a lot of planes, obviously, in Lakeland, Florida, and also up in Jacksonville. The reason, the other reason I'm I'm mentioning them, and it's uh, easy to find them, FlySunrise.com, is they've been gracious enough to uh, sponsor our flight team, and they are donating an airplane for the competition. So I uh, just want to say thanks to them, and also. Uh, this is uh, the pick of the week for is uh, Sunrise Aviation because of the fact that they helped us and also because of the fact that they, they're a, a pretty darn good school and they have a lot of resources and a lot of good instructors. So that's uh, Sunrise Aviation, uh, flysunrise.com. And moving on to our next pick of the week, and that would be, uh, let's see, Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, I um, stumbled upon this site, uh, YouTube site, um, and it reminded me a lot although even, you know, obviously more extensive uh, at this point, uh, remind me a lot of myself in terms of um, uh, of where I came from and, and how I sort of worked some video stuff into into my aviation uh, experience. Um, uh, it's a, a flight called, a site called Flight Chops, um, a YouTube uh, page as well as there's a, you can find that same name on uh, Twitter. And basically every couple of weeks, some really great, um, stories that range from from great lessons about you know all kinds of planes and all kinds of landings or experiences in in general aviation um, to more and to more advanced things with this a pilot um, trying out uh, aircraft various kinds of aircraft. There's an interesting one where he switches places uh, with um, an RC pilot and they each fly each other's planes um, and uh, things like that. So, but it's all beautiful stuff. It's well made. This person, the reason. I'm reminded of my own path is is that uh, he's a video uh, and film producer and um, is using his uh, abilities to produce uh, really great aviation stuff. There's a new one I think every couple of weeks and um, it's a uh, it's a great site. You should check it out. Flight Chops on YouTube. Flight Chops and uh, he's got a website there. Terrific person too. Uh, real interesting personality and he has a uh, very uh, unique. Uh, way of uh, his mustache. And I think that's how he comes up so, yeah, with the flight chops. Yeah, mutton chops. Mutton yes, chops, right. mutton chops, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's flightchops.com. It's flight so, yeah. Cool. Thanks. I appreciate that, yep. Rick. Neat stuff. Uh, our next pick of the week is Victoria. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Jones Brothers, uh, Air and Seaplane Base. It's down in Tavares, Florida. I was actually there last month and I had a blast. Um, it's called... Uh, America's seaplane city because it's so seaplane friendly. So it's good that we're talking about uh, that a lot today. There's um, Jones Brothers has a flight school. They do tours. Um, they have a flying club. They run out planes for weddings. You name it, they have it. And they're near um, several restaurants and a hotel. So you can just fly in and go eat or you can show up and spend, you know, the weekend or a week, get your seaplane rating, stay at a hotel that's just in walking distance to Jones Brothers. It is really cool. So it's definitely on my list of a place to actually uh, go on vacation too soon. 
very cool aircraft. I know they uh, at one time had a twin uh, that I think was used in a movie at one time. Uh, yeah, they used to have a CB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, a twin CB, a twin B. Yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. They uh, real neat people, and uh, they they're very passionate about aviation. And I, I kind of wish I was there to hang out with you, but I'm definitely going to go over there to to Paris and take a look at that. So Jones Jones airnc.com we'll have a link to it in the show notes there so thanks victoria for that uh yeah no it must have been a blast that's for sure go over there tell um rob that victoria sent you victoria sent you so we'll call <laughs> find rob there uh that that means we get a free uh plane ride right Oh, I wish, right? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't you have that kind of poll? <laughs> someday, someday. Thanks, Victoria. Appreciate that. Um, our next uh, pick of the week, I know at David Abbey, he helped us with the, the AOPA and, and just crashed our show, and I think that was awesome that you did that. Uh, Dave, do you mind uh, giving us your pick of the week? Oh, sure. No problem, Carl. Uh, yeah, I took the easy way out just to continue with what uh, I was talking about earlier, just the AOPA fly-ins. Uh, a great experience this year, and uh, Carl and Tom, I hope, I'm sure you'll have a great experience in a couple of weeks. So uh, that's AOPA.org, and look for the fly-ins. And I was just on their website, and looking ahead, they've announced the four locations where they're going to have fly-ins in uh, 2018. So uh, they're going to be in next year in Missoula, Montana, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Carbondale, Illinois, and Gulf Shores, Alabama. So those are those are four locations for next year, and they, uh, they're good. They, they move around uh, to all different places, so they can reach out to as much of the membership as, as possible. So that's my pick of the week. And a big hats off to AOPA for that. They've done a great job with the, the fly-ins. Uh, thanks, Dave. And uh, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so my pick of the week was Dave's pick of the week. So it was because uh, we were all going to be at the AOPN, AOPA fly-in, so I will um, – you know, seed here to uh, Mr. Abby and, and give him that pick of the week. And uh, I'll just uh, pull up a goose egg. How's that? <laughs> well, no, actually, I think your link was to the actual one in Tampa. So we'll, it, we'll it, call it that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's 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 what I did. Is Mine was going to be a link to the one in Tampa because we're going to be there on the, on the 27th and 28th. And we're going to um, have a good time. And, yes. and that'll be uh, – be the basis for our next show. Yes, it will be, and I can't wait to record that. We're going to do uh, some some live recordings there, and uh, Tom and I will be there, and there might be some more that show up. I know anybody, uh, I've invited everybody from the show, they can come crash at my, uh, my pad here in Lakeland, and it's a very quick drive over to the airport. A lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot to learn, and they have some great events. Uh, really hats off to AOPA for doing that. That's, uh, that's just awesome what they've done with these fly-ins because it really does reach out to our community, the aviation community. It also gets people back into aviation, what I think is really, really cool. Well, gosh, uh, David, Abby, thanks so much for being on the show, and thanks for showing up for that report for the uh, AOPA fly-in in Groton, Connecticut. I, it was wonderful having you, and I hope you'll come back again. Sure. My pleasure, Carl. This has been a great time. Awesome. And uh, for if someone wants to reach out to David, is there a way to contact you or just have them email us? Well, they can email you or uh, I like Twitter and at David Abbey. That's A-B-B-E-Y. All one word, at David Abbey. At so, David Abbey. Rich. Yep. That's exactly it. Cool. Yeah. And, you really are the the ultimate uh, airplane geek. I mean, you've been uh, around a lot of the the podcasts, and and you 
probably know aviation podcasts better than uh, than most people. And uh, really, hats off to you for for that and for being into the aviation industry for so many years and being someone that's so passionate and uh, most importantly, someone that shares that passion. So I really appreciate you for that. Oh, well, no, my pleasure, and thank you for all of you for doing this podcast. It's it's part of the group of podcasts I listen to, and it's it's basically getting a f- free aviation education, and I love every minute of it. <laughs> well, awesome. I appreciate that, David. And uh, and also, Chris Pazala from 3 Point Aviation, thanks so much for, for being here. We look forward to having you on again. And again, uh, you know, th- where can they find you again, Chris? Uh, that's going to be uh, 3pointaviation.com. Uh, we use the number three because somebody else already has the full text. <laughs> so 3pointaviation.com. Uh, but you can use the submission form or all of our contact info is on there. Uh, thanks for having me, Carl. Hey, no, I appreciate your being here. We look forward to, to having you back on again. Uh, also, before we go, just a, a quick uh, video of the week. We usually have one. This is something we're going to talk about in a future episode. Uh, it's actually something Victoria sent to me. It's the American-made movie preview. Yeah, I think it's on Facebook. Or excuse me, it's on, uh, where is it? It's on YouTube, I think. And anyway, you can go out there. We have the link for it. And check it out. Go see the movie. We're going to talk a little bit about that in one of the upcoming episodes. Uh, I did get a chance to to take a peek at the epi- at the uh, movie and and watched it, and it was very exciting. But I'm not going to say much more because we're going to talk about it in one of the upcoming episodes. Well, from myself and also all the other co-hosts here and our guests on the show, really appreciate your listening to us today. And don't forget the next episode. We're going to be reporting live from the AOPA flying in Tampa, Florida. And don't forget to go to the facebook page to find out more about where we will be and also the co-host and you can come visit visit us live and talk to us in person we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying you've been listening to the stuck mike abcast members of the stuck mike abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast compensation may be received in the form of but not limited to referral commissions free products or service trials our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show the stuck mike abcast is an aviation podcast and a valeri aviation corporation production